Backlog Dialogues, the podcast where we take you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Syx and Zemnis, my Ansem the Wise. I'm just so mad today. It's Jared. <laughs> is is it a full moon, Jared? Anyway, I'm Matt. Oh boy. And so today and probably next week, because this one is 25 pages of notes. Holy shit. Normally we're like six or seven. Six to ten, I'd say these days. Yeah, we're yeah. Better with our notes. Today we are going to be going to the story finale of Kingdom Hearts 2. But since we have a specific episode number to hit, we might cheat and call both of these episodes episode 12. I mean, it's what the series does. This is true. This is true. So this episode is going to be 12 and the next episode is going to be 12.5 final mix. I like it. OK, but if we have to end up in 12.8, it means we're milking it a bit. We're not going to do that. I definitely don't okay. think we're going to do that for this season. Maybe for another <laughs> season. <laughs> so just to come in from last time, we finished going to all the Disney worlds again for their rather minute plots. Yep. We can see that there's a giant city behind all the worlds and Chip and Dale are seeing two Twilight Towns on their scopes and Axel goes two. Yes. <laughs> so now that we've gotten to the end of those Disney worlds, which is a little bit painful, we get rewarded by the actually, frankly, awesome payoff of the plot that has been building the entire game. Yes. As much as the Disney worlds in Kingdom Hearts 2 are, and I'm going to be use the most delicate words I can, can right now, a bit of a wet fart. The story finale of Kingdom Hearts 2 owns. It is so good from here on out. I love it. <laughs> it really says something that we can go through half-assed uh, recaps of plots and then also just weird little, wouldn't it be interesting if this happened for five minutes for two-thirds of the game and still have the plot completely hold you at the end? Goofy also reminds us that we have another reason that we should probably go to Twilight Town anyway. We need to look into that photo of Roxas. Remember that plot point? Yeah, the one Sora saw, recognized the guy on it, didn't question the fact he recognized him, and then just started thinking about Ice Cream Riku for, for the next few hours. We got to go to Twilight Town. Very first thing we see is that it's completely full of nobodies and absent of a ton of NPCs. Considering how few NPCs there are in Kingdom Hearts 2 anyway, even that in Twilight Town is absent. It's spooky. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there were just sort of a few roaming around. Twilight Town was always one of the slightly more active zones. Well, I mean, you could talk to NPCs to do mini games and stuff like that. Let's beat up some more trash. One of the improvements that comes later in the series is that a lot of the places that are supposed to be towns or cities actually feel a lot more alive and active. Unfortunately, that will not happen until I want to say Dream Drop Distance. Kingdom Hearts 3 is where I really noticed it. I'm still in birth by sleep right now, and I've seen some terrifying examples of lack of people. I'm talking cheering empty stands. Yeah, yes. yeah, that one's funny. Birth by sleep is disturbing with how empty it is. Well, we'll be definitely getting back to that. Yes. We got to go to the Haunted Mansion. Because that's where the photo was. Do you think there's a Haunted Mansion reference in this? I want there to be one, but there isn't. <laughs> there are not, uh, what is it, 99 happy haunts in that in the Twilight Town yeah, Mansion? 999. They're looking for number 1,000. Got it. Got it. Yeah, there's definitely not 999 happy haunts in that mansion. There's just a very sad girl trying to draw pictures. She's number 1,000. God damn it. Let's get to the mansion because there's nothing else to do here. So we want to fight some nobodies and we've been doing that plenty. Yep. And we go ahead and we find the Twilight Town kids are just passed down for the mansion. Yep. Hainer, Pence and Alette are completely passed out. I think I put in our notes HPO because I am very, very, very tired of typing trios of names all over the place. I, I was just going to say the acronym HPO. I, I don't know some, what about it, but it seems weird. It does seem weird. And I'm not going to investigate that further. So anyway, we wake them up. As you do. Hater explains that they were looking for Kyrie, and Sora realizes, wait, other people's are friends with my friends, which 
that is like a bit of a slow train reaching the station realization. Look, it, it's sore. He knows I have friends. I like friends. What's that over there? Look. Oh, hi. Hey, friends. Yeah, I have in my notes. The kids have made the galaxy brain, but true assumption that this mansion is a gateway to an alternate Twilight Town. And I gotta say, the evidence they do this on, it's really impressively thin because yep. they have the little crystal balls from the trophy that, so, that Goofy broke. But Goofy had an extra one. No one else could ever make colored glass balls. I mean, you know, Christmas baubles, they send them over to Santa. They'll be terrified at the myriad of alternate worlds. Okay, uh, hate or pencil at, are they on Santa's naughty or nice list? How much of the actual ones have we seen? 80% of our knowledge is from the other Twilight Town. I was going to say, I personally think Hainer might be on the naughty list, but the other two are on the nice list. Yeah, that would be my assumption as well. And where does that leave <laughs> Cypher? He's keeping the peace. Naughty list. Naughty list. Naughty list. Oh, but he's trying to do good things and help people. Naughty and, list. And, and, you know, own labors, which is very important. Look, if you're asking about Cypher in whatever context Cypher is ta- we're talking about, and we're asking if he's on Santa's naughty or nice list, Cypher's always on the naughty list. I'll put it this way. If the Twilight Town kids were having a group Halloween costume uh, and they were doing Kill la Kill theme, Cypher would be Gamagori. Oh, good God. <laughs> um... Um, uh, um, so we're bringing masochism into this. Oh, no, no, don't no. Anyway, Fujin and Raijin are on the nice list. Yes. Vivi is especially on the nice list. Vivi is an endless supply of nobodies making up a, a character. So, yes, like, I mean, if it is Final Fantasy nine, Vivi, then yeah, nice list. I don't know what the fuck is up with Kingdom Hearts, Vivi, so I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> So, yeah, we were doing Disney shenanigans, and even if it's on weird evidence, these kids have been solving actual mysteries. It's amazing how much these side characters do more with the actual plot than Sora does in a Kingdom Hearts game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, is, is there Galaxy Brain Thought? Here's like, you know, there's got to be another town out there like this. That'll explain how the king got the pouch in the crystal. And then just the perfect Kingdom Hearts exchange, he then goes on to say, everything makes sense. It and as does? you look at each other, as you look at each other, that's Sora's response. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Sora just is like, yeah, like Hater has figured out the entire plot. Sora and Donald look at Goofy to try and understand this. Goofy does not understand. And so Sora's just like, it does. <laughs> I was going to just laugh because they both look to Goofy because they both know that out of all of them, Goofy understands the plot best. He is absolutely 100% the brains of the outfit, and they realize this. So if Goofy doesn't understand what's going on, none of them do. Well, anyways, the plot gods decide this conversation is going on a bit too long, so nobody's. Yep. Whenever a scene has gone on a bit too long, the monster of the week for whatever Kingdom Hearts game we're in is going to start attacking. It's just a rule of Kingdom Hearts. That's a rule of shonen in general. It's literally an old term for film noir. It's like the scene's going bad. There's nothing anything wrong with a man with a gun breaking down the door. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes it's not going to be a bunch of monsters breaking in. Sometimes it might be a mini game that breaks the flow of the scene. <laughs> well, that happens. I hate when Just that happens. The mini game wanders right into the room that you're currently occupying. Yep. Yes, but this time it's not the mini game. It's the Mickey game that shows up. God damn it. I hate you so much. <laughs> Mickey, Mickey just falls out of the sky to save our butts. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I can't believe you gave me that opening. <laughs> oh gosh. Mickey jumps through the sky, 
beats up the remaining monsters and helps out with a heap load of new exposition about Ansem. Which is funny because all he does is just kind of he just rushes and say, I figured out where Ansem is. He's in the Organization 13 stronghold. And your almost reaction is like, no, we already established that's not him. Uh, Sora, because Sora has a one-track mind, asks about Riku, and Mickey is still cagey as fuck about Riku. Uh, Mickey has made a promise. He won't tell Sora what that's about. And he's getting weird about Riku. Yeah. It's like, so you mean it's okay? It's like, if that's what you think. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, it's... Mickey does not want to talk about this right now. Please do not push Mickey on this. Yep, Sora gets a little bit mad about it, but Donald uh, basically sticks his neck out for Mickey. Yep. I mean, Mickey does seem to be feeling bad. So, got to head into the mansion, find the spooky computer room. Once we do, I have in my notes, we try to figure out the password with the stuff we have, and I can't believe the password is sea salt ice cream because Ansel the Wise loved ice cream. Ansel has very poor password discipline. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond a joke that those Facebook, what's your favorite stuff is, is data phishing, but God, Ansel would just, you, you probably could ask what social security number is, he'd give it to you. The side characters will stay behind. They don't want to get more involved with the plot than they already are. We jump into the portal that the password opens. Bye. Have fun storming the castle. On the other side of the portal, we immediately find the computer that Roxas destroyed. It's basically the exact same room. Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise. And for some reason, we immediately pick up Ansem Report number 10 in the ruins of the room. We got a bunch of these today. Yeah, we do have a bunch of these today. Okay. Hit it, Jared. Sora went to sleep in order to recover the memories he had lost in Castle Oblivion. It would take quite some time to bring back all the memories he had created in his lifetime. But Organization 13 held sway over Castle Oblivion. Sora would need to be kept someplace more secure. I persuaded Nominee to move the slumbering Sora to Twilight Town for safekeeping. Nominee. As I have written before, she is a most unusual Born of the same process as a nobody, but lacking virtually all the elements of a nobody. Perhaps she continues drawing in hopes of capturing that which she lacks. The memories of others, especially Sora. I have arrived at a hypothesis. I believe that Naminé was born as a special type of nobody when Sora attacked himself with a keyblade, causing his and Kairi's hearts to leave their bodies simultaneously. Naminé emerged as Kairi's nobody, but the body and soul necessary to exist as a nobody belong to Sora. When a person's heart is stolen, a heartless is born with no sense of self, and the body and soul left behind give rise to a nobody. But what if one willingly releases one's heart from one's body? Sora and Zehanort retain their selfhood even after becoming heartless. Then there are Kairi and Naminé. Kairi was exceptional for having had no darkness within her heart. Also exceptional was that her heart, once freed, migrated to a new vessel, Sora. The combination of the two theoretically unlikely exceptions may be behind this anomaly. There are matters I must attend to while Sora is sleeping. A new ally has appeared on the scene. Riku. Whew! Info! (laughs) Yep. Now, so basically, you feel like some of these you feel like they, they turn to the yard and say, everyone get that? Yep. And, and I mean, this one is just sort of like straight up saying, this is what Naminé is. She's Kyrie's nobody made when Sora released his own heart. 
We Kyrie's nobody from Sora's body, and she's got no body, so nobody. Yeah, we were joking about Kingdom Hearts One, where that one event where Sora unlocks his own heart with the Keyblade spawns how many different characters? I think we're at two right now. Yeah, and and most of the plot of the last two games. Yep. Yep. Most important event in all of Kingdom Hearts. Most important of all Kingdom Hearts is Sora stabbing himself. What the hell? Yep. Anyway, we go a little bit further in the Data Twilight Town, just to remember all of the shit that Roxas did, and Jimmy's journal suddenly has an entry for Twilight Town. Yeah, all the stuff that Roxas did in there, including all the stuff that he fought, is now suddenly in our journal. There's really no other way to explain that, say. Yeah, we were in here just long enough for all of Roxas's memories to come flooding back to Sora, kinda, and then be put in Jiminy's journal. What? And then Mickey rushes ahead to the base because he knows there's gotta be another pathway to go forward. Yep, and there's another portal here that takes us to Betwixt and Between. Isn't it one of those scary dark portals that the buddies use? Yep, it is a portal of darkness, I believe. It takes us to a Sorley Void. We get rushed by nobodies, and who shows up to help us? It's Axel! Yeah, we just have a big old fight with Axel helping us. Yay! Axel is everyone's favorite. So they have a fight, and then after the fight, the cutscene still has more nobody, so you have to do something else that has to happen for the plot. Yeah, I have in my notes, and then Axel exploded because I am doing both of these characters. I guess this next scene is just me talking to myself for a few minutes. I'm sorry. Axel, the nobodies are gone, and Axel lays on the ground prone and flaking. You're fading away. Well, that's what happens when you put your whole being into an attack. You know what I mean? Not that nobody's actually have beings, right? Anyway, I digress. Go. Find Kyrie. Oh, almost forgot. Sorry for what I did to her. When we find her, you can tell her that yourself. Think I'll pass. My heart just wouldn't be in it, you know? Haven't got one. Axel! What were you trying to do? I wanted to see Roxas. He was the only one I liked. He made me feel like I had a heart. It's kind of funny. You make me feel the same. Kyrie's in the castle dungeon. Now go. Axel. With his last motion, Axel creates another portal in the, in the void. And then he yep. fades away. Which and then we get a keyblade that buffs fire magic, the bond of flame that looks like it's made from Axel's rings. It's kind of neat. Sweet. Stealing these from you. Bye. Yep. yep. Axel's dead. Loot his corpse. Quick, before <laughs> it vanishes. <laughs> and then we get one more scene in the Cloak Club chair room. Which won't be us, just me talking to myself. But before we start, I personally just, I really like that uh, particular scene just because yeah. I think it it's kind of, one of the things that's est- that I think most firmly establishes and just kind of turns the audience and set and makes sure that, you know, hey, nobody's really do have hearts after all, don't you? think? Yeah, it is. It's setting the seeds for uh, a whole lot of other story stuff that's going to come flooding our way in this and the next game we're talking about. I mean, you could tell from actual speech his his, his words are paradoxical, like he yeah. clearly has the ability to feel regret, but also feels he can't. Like he att- and he valued Roxas because Roxas he felt different around. Yeah, and I think part of that is really sort of a bit of self-deprogramming, if it will. Like, mm-hmm. I have my own little headcanon that nobodies are capable of having hearts just like anyone else. A lot of that is developed through connections to other people. 
But also, yeah. I kind of think that the whole nobody's don't have hearts thing is sort of just an ideology that's being forced upon them rather than any actual, like, real truth. Axel here, more than any others, while we've seen them react in ways that makes you question how emotionless they are here, it's just the first time it seems really hard to deny. Yeah. So let's yeah. go and see what the bad guys think. The house is looking pretty empty, huh? I thought I'd get a little enjoyment watching Axel throw one last tantrum, but he went out a lot quieter than I thought. Perhaps he was ready for it. Perhaps he put his existence on the line and won what he'd been longing for. Wait a minute. How would that even be possible? We don't exist, remember? What you're saying goes against the laws of nature. Then perhaps he bet his non-existence. Either way, he came out a winner. Oh, Axel, the grifter to the end. That's absurd. He won nothing and is nothing. He couldn't stand the emptiness of being without a heart. That led to his demise. He was foolish and weak. But weakness has the power to awaken that which is dormant. It is clear that through his actions, however foolish they may have been, Axel has touched Sora's heart. Perhaps he will soon awaken. And with those words behind us, we're making it to the final world of Kingdom Hearts 2. The world that never was. Yep. I mean, oh my god, this place rules. Before yep. you even get into you know the world itself, its design appearance, just that title is so evocative, especially against the nobodies and their view of their non-existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, also it makes sense, because now I guess we know the identity of what that huge world was in the background that kept appearing more and more in the second half of the game of, you know, the dummy ship area. Mm-hmm. As soon as we're going around walking in here and we see all the neon lights, we're going to realize pretty quickly that this is where the deep dive video took place at the end of Kingdom Hearts 1. Where the battle of the rain took place, the great dark cityscape. And so you get to hear from Twilight Town because Twilight is the closest to the nobodies and their world. Mm hmm. But not yeah. that, we had to go through into like a data zone that was created to hold one of them, and they access repeatedly portals trying to reach him. I feel that yeah. the door is open. We have to yeah. go through multiple layers of non-reality to get here. We had to survive the gauntlet of betwixt and between as well, and then yeah. had to open the final door for us. Yeah. So it took a lot of effort for us to get here, and I have in my notes, giant heart-shaped moon frames a spooky twisted silver castle. Now this is Kingdom Hearts. Yes, this is what you should imagine when you think of Kingdom Hearts. They really nailed the environment. The end of the world from Kingdom Hearts 1 had a certain evocativeness, but was also very shallow and very blank. This is so much more just like this is if you took all the energy of the original Hollow Bastion and the tone of the end of the world and you sort of stuffed them together into a into a well-forged finale. Speaking of tone, I think we haven't talked too much before about music because I think a lot of Kingdom Hearts music so far has been, you know, good, but not like anything truly, truly that special because of the Disney. We talk about, like yeah, we talk about the music for these games when it's like really worth talking about. And from here on, a lot of the music is really worth talking about. Sacred Moon, I think, is one of the best tracks in this entire game. It's a really cool uh, synth piece, a chorus being used as an instrument. And it has a driving piano backing, and uh, I think Jared Drub did a vicious drum beat. 
it, it always sounds a little odd to say this, but sometimes it's hard not to describe a, a drum beat as something less than, than like tribal in its tone. One of the crazier things that I notice about it is that it actually is using the dearly beloved light motif in an inverted way. Like it is pretty spooky overall. It's great. And I really like how this particular tune is both upbeat and moody at the same time, which is actually a really difficult tone to land. Especially yeah. when the light motif kicks in, it just adds this weird energy on top of this very minor, very sinister piece. And another thing about Kingdom Hearts environment music that you may have noticed earlier in the game, but is really cool here, is that the combat and the regular overworld music, they kind of are made so that you can fade one into the other at any time mm-hmm. when you see enemies. And so the combat theme here is called Deep Drive, which fades into the kind of really driving backing and uh, when you see enemies. and But it works really well. Deep Drive is super intense. The drums quadruple and the leg into rolling hits. The, the chorus swells. The piano fades away. It just turns into this, this haunting chorus shouting at you almost. It's really ominous, too. There's this brief period where like it's a bit slow and ominous, and then it just picks up any time a battle goes on long enough for it to do that. It's and, like it just gets super fever pitch, especially uh, if you're like going through it in one of your form changes. Yeah. Then the chorus cuts out and this great piano, like bass beat goes in. Mm -hmm. It's a really good environment with the music. As we move through the streets of this dark city towards the castle, we arrive at the skyscraper from deep dive memory skyscraper. This is the one where we saw the, the video of Sora uh, running up the side of the building. Well, no, it's for the video. Where, it's the video where we saw the hooded dual keyblade wielder. Oh, got it. Yeah. Running up the side of the building and confronting a blindfolded keyblade wielder on top of the building. Who looked, who looked plenty like Riku. Let's be clear. Yeah, it, let's be clear. It was fucking Riku. Yep, the blindfold. It was Riku there. with the blindfold on. Yep. So it begins to rain and then a, a, a swarm of samurai nobodies pop appear and block Donald and Goofy. And then a mysterious cloaked kid about Sora's height. Steps out of a dark portal, summons the Oblivion Keyblade, and charges at Sora. A dive to the heart begins, mm-hmm. and the hardest main story fight in Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix begins as well. Yep. This particular fight did not exist in the base game. It was a Final Mix-only fight, but I actually think it's quite important to the plot, so I prefer this version a lot. Yeah. The original was just a cutscene. Uh, it is a brutally difficult fight in... Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix, especially, and I'm very, very, very sorry for this, Jared, if you play it on critical mode. Yes. <laughs> we have no doubt who this is. We see what he dual wields, and we know who we're facing, though Sora does not. Yes. I Here's what I have in my notes for the fight. Roxas has the most unrelenting burst of any regular boss in this game. His attack power is high, and taking a hit can stunlock you to death if you're not careful. There are some abilities that can prevent you from dying during a single combo, and those are super important. I end up winning through skillful use of Reflect and Limit Form Sonic Blade Limit. Roxas has some pretty low defense, so it only takes a few good combos to bring him down, but it, so it really just will come down to skills. And if we win, we get the Combo Master skill. Yep. And now I'm going to let Jared say his piece, because yeah, I'm extremely well, sorry here. 
I can't take this fight. I, I know I'm not an expert. I consider myself a highly skilled casual in terms of game playing. But this one slammed me around. I mean, he kept catching me, smacking the ground, taking away half my hit po- points, catching me in like f- I, like the projectiles he would shoot, like the waves of light were really difficult for me. And then he would just like come in fast and hit me hard. Yeah. And this was the fight. Understand I got this far in the game before I realized I was I was not using once more in second chance. So it, Jeez. I it even worse. So I was getting killed in single shots without realizing why. Yep. I still appreciate that it's here. Like the music for this fight in particular is I would say in my top five Kingdom Hearts songs, period. It's called The Other Promise. And it is essentially Roxas's theme. It is Roxas's theme. It is have we, gorgeous. Have we heard it up till now? Uh, we might have heard it when Roxas uh, was going away at the beginning of the game, but this is where it's like really centered and focused in the story. So like this is where I like really feel like talking about it. I kind of feel like this boss is where they really throw what the harder bosses in Kingdom Hearts are going to yes. be like with Listen. the design around the duff, the tougher nobodies yes. and the data battles and stuff like that. They kind of give you a taste of what it's going to be like. If Other Promise starts with the same piece is just this very sorrowful, very quiet piano. It's not dissimilar from one of the pieces we've often been hearing from Organization 13 speaking, like whenever they have scenes together, which is both ominous and sad. But this one is just always sad. And then this flute picks in just this quiet, almost weeping melody that plays. It just you can hear loss in it. And like the full swelling orchestra as the song hits its climax is heartrending. Absolutely devastating. Yeah. If you like, once you've fully uh, understood the context for this song, and, and the song will get to play through the entire scene that plays out next. And now we indulge ourselves. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> indulge ourselves for quite a bit here, folks. Yep. Because honestly, I think this is one of the best scenes in Kingdom Hearts. Yes. We're all a bit of saps here, mm-hmm. and just like. For whatever reason, I think the emotion of what goes on with Roxas just comes through for a lot of people here, yep. uh, even though it's a really unrealistic situation. They just did a really good job setting it up. So realism doesn't matter here. Yeah. I'm going to I want to I want to put a kibosh on that kind of feeling right now. Emotions are what matter here. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just saying that I'm just saying that the like it's it's kind of funny to think about how emotional it gets, even though the situation is and the source of the drama is very eminently unreal. You know what I mean? You still Mm -hmm. get it. So the fight has so the fight has ended, but we're still in the deep dive, which is the appearance of the sleeping Sora with his friends nearby as Sora and the hooded figure face off continue. Who who are you? Someone from the dark. You can't be you can't be Riku. Riku? I defeated a Riku once. You what? Tell me. Tell me why he picked you. The two of an anime fight. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way we can put it. Like, it is a big heated anime fight. And the figure ends up hovering above the floor and notices the tiles on the floor that show Riku, Kairi, Donald, and Goofy. I see. That's why. Sora's keyblade gets knocked away. Oathkeeper is pinned through it. And by the end, when he has a hooded figure stands over him, at the last moment, Sora calls his keyblade to teleport into his hand. What? And then there's a strike. As they stand apart, the figure flashes back to Roxas in front of the mansion. 
in front of the hooded figure we now know as Xemnas. You seek answers. Roxas stands, still facing the ground. The figure waves a hand in front of him. The name Sora appears in sharp, smoky letters, floating in the air in front of his face. You feel nothing. Nothing is real. I can give you purpose. Roxas nods once again. The man waved his arm. The letters swirl around. They form R-O-A-S, and a large golden X pops into the middle. Roxas. That is right. The new you. We switch to Twilight Town's clock tower. Roxas is sitting with his head in his lap, watching the sunset. Look who's finally awake. Axel. Or maybe I have it wrong. Might be time to sleep. Soon we won't be able to talk like this anymore. Does that mean it's time to go back to where I belong? You know, I've been thinking about something Namine said. Roxas, are you really sure that you don't have a heart? Is it possible that we all have one? You, me, her? Or is that just wishful thinking? I don't know. I can't just look inside. Yeah, I guess not. But I figure, if there is something in there, inside us, then we'd feel it, wouldn't we? And if so, no, never mind. Come on, don't leave me hanging. Sora will find the answer we're looking for. I know he will, because he's me. True enough. And out comes the ice cream. Man, I miss the old times. Still got it memorized? The day we met... When you got your new name, you and I sat right here and watched the sunset. Yeah, this place is home. Me, Hainer, Pence, Olette. We shared a lot of adventures. You'll see them again. I know you will. Yeah, you're right. Well, I should go. Sora's waiting for me. Yeah, I suppose he is. Man, this is some good ice cream, huh? And the scene slowly starts to glow, hiding everything from view. Take care, okay? Right back at ya, buddy. A tear falls to the top of the tower roof, and the scene goes back to the deep dive. In the station awakening, the hooded figure walks past Sora and stumbles, his hood flying off, revealing his golden hair. Roxas tur- stands up and turns to face Sora. You make a good other. And this, and the world fades back to the city, and then the rain has stopped. Sora's in alone, standing in the rain. You make a good other. Holy shit, what a scene this oh, is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a single wide, I still love what happened. Yep. Like, you this, guys that deliberately. this scene this is, is the emotional core of the entire game's narrative. I, I agree with that. Like, it's... It's so it's so important to all the characters that we care about, even though we haven't actually gotten to the actual scene where, you know, Sora beats the big bad. I feel like this truly is the emotional climax of everything. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not ashamed to admit I had some confusion. It took me a couple of considerations to understand that the scene in Twilight Town's Tower was not another flashback because we had just seen a flashback. I mean, this is actually something in a metaphorical way, happening in the now. Yeah, yeah it, Roxas and Axel kind of 
having their essences touching and having a communication with each other before they both fade away and die. Yeah. Is it Axel's still looking for answers and hopeful? Roxas isn't sure, but he thinks he's found the path that makes sense to him. And mm-hmm. both of them, like I said, they're, is that while they miss their past, you'd feel like both of them understand that things are moving. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it is finally Roxas and Axel being able to show their emotions after it's all, quote unquote, over. Yeah. Before we go on with the rest of the story here, I just want to like really sit here and talk about this a bit because it was a bit indulgent for indulgent for us to do a reading of the whole thing, but we don't care. <laughs> First bit of discussion: What does the "Why did he pick you?" imply? Well, my thought is so just to get the context in. This is Roxas having been hammering at Sora viciously as Keyblade still can't bring him down. Is now wondering. He's saying, "Why did he pick you?" And then he looks down and says, "I see." My thought is, I think he's thinking of Riku, because in his memory, Riku's the one that forced Roxas into circumstance. We, we understand that Riku's the one that fought him. We don't know all the context. And then he was forced by Riku into the false town, where he was basically held to be reintegrated with Sora. He, he sees on a deep dive that in Sora's heart, which assume this is, that his friends are still there. So to him, it is that those were the connections that were being prioritized. He picked the one who still had those connections. He could be talking about himself. Uh, why did he, the original Roxas that rejoined with Sora back at the start of the game do what he did? The Roxas that we're facing here is being awakened from within Sora again. It is one final attempt to free himself from the chains that are keeping him trapped in there. We know from earlier context, from what Zemnis was saying, it was because of what happened to after yeah. he woke Roxas up inside. Yes, I was kind of thinking of it being uh, the 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 he and why did he pick you kind of I was think I kind of thought of it as it being about Axel like why mm-hmm. did Axel you know do that for you why did he sacrifice himself for you he but, I mean he could also just be talking about Diz Diz is the one who was experimenting on well not experimenting uh, trying to restore Sora's memories and in doing so that is what caused Roxas to be able to do have to lose his existence. So since we were actually having a big discussion about this, we actually went and looked up what the Japanese was, was because of the sea, the sea of the context us, was different. Yep. And there was any confusion. Yep. Mm-hmm. As uh, we, some of us understand enough Japanese to be able to, you know, translate a few lines and stuff like that. Sure. And we, we translated it as uh, very similar. Just tell me why were you chosen? So, well, the Japanese is, Oshiete kure, omae ga erabareta wake wo. Why were you yeah. chosen? For what reason were you chosen? Is that because of Japanese passive subject and pronoun issues, or is it really in that different tone? Um, the the tone is a bit different because that uh, that erabareta wakeo uh, uh, clause there, it's kind of it's using the passive voice, yes, and it's it's really uh, emphasizing the idea of the reason because that wake is is kind of the reason yeah. or motivation for for. For the yeah, it's shoe choosing. Yeah, it's it less be, about who did the choosing and more about why the choosing was done. Adding the he there changed the folks a little. It could be just like Re- that. Roxas is asking, "Why are you the one that the world has kept?" Yeah, exactly. Why do you, we were so we we started thinking about that interpretation of why do you get to continue existing and not me? Mm-hmm. So I, I think there could be a little bit of everything in there. Yeah, it's. That's what it, happens. You do some fun lore writing. You can they said if you make it vague enough, though, it can say you're wrong. I mean, it. I do think that it matters as a 
character point here. And the fact that it is vague enough to have this kind of discussion is honestly a step up in terms of like the writing. Because most of the time, I think Kingdom Hearts is actually pretty on the nose and obvious about what it's saying about everything. Don't at I me, mean, folks. I know exactly what Kingdom Hearts is saying at most times. And I mean, for all our different interpretations, it all comes down to the same thing. Roxas's fear of that his existence didn't matter. And right. Question why he ended up being subservient to it, how he ended up being yep. secondary. Yeah. Why does Sora can get to exist and why does Roxas not get to exist? Why were you more important to me? Why did you matter more? Yep. Yep. And unfortunately, I would argue Roxas missed the point. This is true. From Axel, from the organization, even when he no longer exists his current form, he still mattered to those who would speak about him, who would still look for him there. So mm-hmm. it's maybe this had to happen, but it didn't mean that Roxas didn't matter. It's it's kind of a, a sad ending because it's it's oh, yeah. more or less in many ways a reprise of my, I guess my summer vacation is finally over. Yeah. But at the same time, well, we'll get to the a few other things there. But first, before we get on to discussing the real meat of the whole thing, which was Axel and Roxas's discussion, I want to talk about one little thing about Xemnas here. Ah, creep point. Yeah. So the creation of Roxas's name is a scene where Xemnas has big cult leader energy. He's literally saying, you don't have an identity. Let me give you one. Let me let me christen you with a name. Yeah, yeah. He causes Roxas to be born again with a new name. So that's a thing. And I got to say, this is a unique shot because we can see Zemnis's face inside the hood there. And it just gives the full creepy, honestly, even this words loaded predatory vibe of it because he has he is preying upon a vulnerable. That out of the way, let's talk about Roxas and Axel and not just for shipping. But the other sure is a little shipping. There's a shipping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's one of the more popular ships out there. OK, I would argue it's the most popular ship other than maybe Sora Riku. Yeah, it's said, And I don't think there's an interpretation where this isn't at the very least a romantic friendship. Mm. Mm. They have a bromance going. And not even that, because yeah. I think to me, there's a divide. There is no there's friendship, there's romance. But I think there's a possibility in between for there being that level of emotional support and connection. Yeah. By it not being anything on it. Well, on a uh, sexuality basis. Yeah, well, yeah, well, essentially, we we get the impression and we'll see it a little bit more in future Kingdom Hearts games and stuff like that. But the I we got an idea of what it's like inside the organization. Uh, you know, what everyday life is like for its members. And so it from what we know of how Roxas and Axel interacted when they were together in the organization, it seems like they were much closer than any of the other pairs of nobodies out there. We've seen over and over again from even though a lot of Roxas's time, his memory's been missing. We see from Axel's interactions like they they value each other. Axel particularly because he because it brought emotion that he didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Roxas made him feel made him feel like he had a heart. Yeah, yeah. We kind of see that scene interpreted as a connection between Roxas's and Axel's heart after they're defeated. We mentioned that a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I mean, we when, see this entire scene. As I said before, it took me a little bit of time to realize this isn't a flashback to them in their org days. I think because it came right after that Zemnis scene, mm-hmm. yeah. we understand like because they both have knowledge of everything up to now. Once you listen a little more, and that ends up making it an emotional coda, not just for this game, but also for uh, three fifty eight over two days, which we will be talking about. Uh, in a few weeks. 
And the core of this scene is that big question that we we mentioned earlier. Do nobodies actually have heart? Against all the, the, the exposition, against the weird lore of the heart and body being separate, this scene definitely seems to say, of course they do. Yeah. Um, and I think the key point of all this, like they say, how do you know if you have a heart? Is what would you feel there? The key point that is driving it all behind? If someone just tells you over and over again, you don't, you're having a hard time with emotion. Clearly, you don't have a heart because we are different, don't have hearts. What would tell you otherwise? If you're able to form a connection with other people, the hearts that the nobodies show us are the ones that they have formed by forging a deep connection with each other. Yep. And so that brings us to talking about that point that we had avoided a little bit earlier which is kind of the cosmology of Kingdom Hearts in terms of how the body, mind, and heart relate to each other. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting because they separate the body, the soul, and the heart. I guess I'm saying mind, but we're... uh, Kingdom Hearts more uses the the word soul. No, Kingdom Hearts uses the word mind more than soul. Okay, well... It kind of seems to have the same meaning. It is the the layer of... um, cognizance of existence yeah. itself like the heart yeah, yeah. is so the, the, the heart yeah. is the emotion the body is the physical the soul or mind is the intangible yeah the it body was, is the meaty squishy bits the solar or the mind is the intangible part of a human and then our answer for what is a heart emotions and connections yeah we've been primed for this from chain of memories but the the heart is actually the emotions and the connections that we form with other people yep so we've been going at this for a while. I just kind of want to sum up with one thought. All this is created. Fuck you, Diz. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. He is. So if you think about it, he's a, been a huge dick up to now. Especially oh, yes. Time. And not only that, this entire cutscene, the I guess the the point of it is Diz was wrong. Yes. And we're going to keep on seeing more and more. Not only is Diz wrong, Diz is extremely wrong about a great many things. And sometimes story lore forgets that it's yeah. actually a usable. Uh, it's a usable option to make your so-called expert wrong. Yep. I mean, you. It's best to resolve it, but yeah, I re- actually really like that because one of the lessons that you have to learn as an adult is sometimes people who are smart are more vulnerable to being wrong. Oh yeah. In different ways than people who are not smart because. When it comes down to it, if you're really smart or really intelligent, you are really good at rationalizing your own behavior. And you can really convince yourself that when you are wrong about uh, something, that no, there's actually some kind of thing that makes me actually uh, actually right or not look into this thing that you don't uh, care to. You can just rationalize it to yourself. And so I feel that uh, thing about experts like Diz being wrong is a really good uh, theme that not enough stuff uses because mm-hmm. we all have to learn that humility, even, even no matter how smart we are. Yep. So uh, let's get back to the game a little bit. I think we're getting close to the end, so I think we just have a few other things we want to touch on before we go to be continued. Uh, um, so the important thing is, now this is a better final mix addition, just like just like the fight itself, as we get a new Keyblade. It's the two become one. Tessie and Amura knows writers who use subtlety and they are all cowards. Uh, <laughs> memes are the gift they keep on giving, aren't they? Yes. So uh, normally in 
in the original Kingdom Hearts 2, you would just get final form by transforming at any point after here. Here specifically in Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix, this Keyblade is the only way you can unlock final form, which is the most powerful drive form that you can get. When you equip the Keyblade, all form changes will either be anti-form or final form. So for a while, it's going to be kind of annoying because anti-form is really annoying to control and sometimes can't kill enemies. So do not have this equipped if you're going to be fighting some of the upcoming bosses, for example. Yeah, grind it out. However, once you get final form, every time final form is used, it will reset your anti-form counter whenever you use it and it will be available freely. So you can unequip this Keyblade and never have to worry about anti-form again. I know we talked about briefly how the counter is, how the game tracks, how likely your chance to get anti-form is. So this starts beating that down so you don't have to worry about you. You start using other forms more. Yeah. Yep. So final form is just really cool. It it has that kind of black and white uh, design motif. It's it, it's silver, this one. I saw it. Or yeah. I thought, no, the black and white one that you're thinking about is the ultimate form from uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 with the ultimate weapon keyblade. Whoops. Okay. Okay. So no. Oh yeah. This is the silver one, right? It kind of yeah. looks a little bit nobody-ish. Yeah. You float. You're in this shiny silver with black highlights, and whichever keyblades you have, they're floating around you, just like fly enemies when you attack, like with a big air-looking combo. Yep. And all you have to do to access it is eat your friends. Yep. It'll eat your other two party members, no matter who they are. It's because we ate that special friend. We can now eat the other friends with with passion. Yep. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't use it at the same time as Stitch. Like, you can't use summons and forms at the same time. And I'm going to say right now, Stitch is way better than Final Form. Stitch better. Stitch better. Stitch better. <laughs> and, of course, we get another secret answer report. Number eight. Secret answer report eight. Go, Jared. It appears I have been too distracted by the fear of Zehanor and his cohorts and the events occurring in their vicinity. My friend's struggle to protect the Rumblelites from the threats of Heartless is now over, with Zehanort's Heartless, going by the name Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, defeated at last. The other wielder of the Keyblade, this hero, traveled from world to world, sealing up keyholes and laying Heartless low. Meanwhile, the king, who had died into the realm of darkness, worked with the Keyblade-wielding hero to close the door to Kingdom Hearts from the realms of both darkness and light, thus holding off the threats of tremendous darkness. But there are still a great number of Heartless afoot, and Organization 13 and the Nobodies continue to be active in the shadows. Indeed, the world is still a very dangerous place. We must find a way to do battle with these enemies. Thus, I will both make amends and have my revenge. It is for this reason I infiltrated Castle Oblivion. It consists of 13 floors above and 12 floors below ground, with the contents of its white rooms transforming in response to its visitors' memories. Organization 13 was conducting experiments on memory here. The subjects in these experiments, a girl named Namine, appear to possess extremely unusual abilities. Were they attempting to derive something from these powers? Refusing to be distracted by Organization 13, I had returned to my own secret research when a new visitor appeared at the castle today. It was Sora, the Keyblade-wielding hero who had defeated Ansem and his companions. Deep underground, the stench of darkness arose. All the players are coming together, it would seem. 
I can't believe they referenced Sense of Darkness again. Here comes the poo gas, it seems. Yep. Yep. There's that poo gas again. Like, so, yeah. this was a fun one because it's we're seeing the events of Kingdom Hearts 1 and Chain of Memories from the perspective of Ansem. Why? Of someone who was explicitly not there. <laughs> yeah. Which you now, like, if you're paying attention both to the last answer report and this one, you're like, wait, this Ansem wasn't at Castle Oblivion. Who the hell is this? I feel like it's not too hard to guess, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, We're going to save that quote unquote reveal for the next episode, because I think we are right about out of time for this episode. Yeah, this is the point where we will cut the episode in half to be continued. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release. Seriously, though, people, just like a sidebar, do not do those Facebook name your favorite stuff things. Those are absolutely 100 uh, percent just like mind hacks to try and figure out how to steal your passwords, uh, either for like either to like guess the password directly or to get the answers for your password questions. Yeah, don't do them. <laughs> and oh, that was today. And that oh. was today's educational section. The more you know. We we did make wow, a little bit passed. of fun in Kingdom Hearts One with that, that one event. That completely unnoticed, huh? Yeah, that one event where where I think we're just Sora... not trying to humor you, Jared. Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry, go ahead. No, do not okay, humor just... Jared there. I was just laughing you missed my musical reference that time. Okay. Omae ga erarai Omae ga erarai bet erabeta wake wo. Uh yeah, so I watch enough uh, Digimon, yeah. John.